All right. Well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here. And I just want to say welcome to our online campus as well. So glad you guys are joining with us. Today, we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 10. And we are still in our series called Empowered. And uh, today, we'll be learning some life lessons from Peter and Cornelius. And we're going to be reading lots of scripture from the New King James Version today. So if you're interested in that, you can turn there and be ready. But uh, let me just say a couple announcements. First of all, Fresh Start starts next week. So if you are needing a foundation for your Christian life, that is the place to start right there. So I want to encourage you to be part of that at Second Service, uh, 11 o'clock, starting next Sunday. Just want to say also we had a great men's meeting yesterday. 70 men turned out. It was awesome. Great time. And then uh, there was a great class on deliverance and breaking strongholds with Sandy Wixon and lots of good things going on there. And then, I don't know if Kira's here, but again, I want to say congratulations to Kira Burns for being a state champion in commercial uh, and residential appliance technology. In other words, she can fix refrigerators and freezers and all that stuff. And she, she came in like third place last year. This year, we're expecting her to win the whole shebang at Nationals in Atlanta. So uh, when you see Kira, tell her congratulations. Also want to say, it's nice to have Garrison. I don't know if you noticed, Garrison was back on bass. Matthew on the violin is great. And then we want to say happy birthday to Pastor Jen Luff. Where's, there she is, right there. I won't say how old she is, but she's looking good for her age, all right? So give her a big hug and hand her some money. That, that's what you need to do. All right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Okay, in review, uh, last week we were in chapter nine, and we saw Jesus reach a long shot. We talked about pray for long shots in your life. A long shot is someone that you think you'd never see in church, or someone that would never give their life to Christ. So, I hope that you thought about something like that this last week and then prayed. And remember, we're all trying to fast at least one meal on Wednesdays. So when we come to night, uh, we will uh, be seeking God and have our hearts right. All right? So we saw in chapter 9 that God reached a long shot. His name was Saul of Tarsus, which became the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds, basically, of the New Testament. I mean, uh, God took a long shot and changed him did miracles, and now we're experiencing uh, his life in us through the word of God. 
So for years, though, after he's saved, he's rejected as a Jewish person. Uh, he's rejected after his conversion because he was murdering Christians, and many didn't believe that he was changed. And so uh, people didn't want to go to church with him, and even the apostles were scared of him until Barnabas got uh, an audience with the apostles and introduced Paul to them. So at the end of that chapter, same chapter in chapter nine, we see Peter heal a lame man, and we also see him raise Tabitha from the dead. So God uses Peter to bring revival to two cities through signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, we still need that today. So as we move into chapter 10, Peter's in Joppa, uh, in the house of Simon the Tanner, seeking God, which, by the way, is a miracle in itself because tanners were considered unclean because they uh, they worked with dead carcasses uh, of animals. And so most uh, Jewish people who were religious didn't hang out with those guys. But here's uh, Peter hanging out in uh, Simon the Tanner's house. And we have a guy named Cornelius uh, seeking God as well, but in a different way. So I love hearing stories uh, of how God orchestrates unlikely people to come to know him, don't you? So they're fun testimonies to hear. So today, uh, we see God has been preparing this centurion for years for an intersection of a meeting with the apostle Peter. And I, again, like I say, it's fun to see how God connects these folks together. So the first thing you should write down is prayer is powerful. In this chapter, we have two people praying. We have Cornelius praying. We have Peter praying. And uh, we see two conversions come about. We uh, see a, a man who doesn't know Christ, but is uh, what I would say religious, keeps the rules, and is seeking after God. And he believes in the God of Israel, but doesn't know quite all about him. And then we have Peter, who needs a conversion in the way he thinks. So two conversions. Beginning of verse one. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So let's pause for a moment. I want you to get a picture of what this man was like. Uh, He was a centurion in the Roman army. And uh, the Roman army was comprised of legions. And a legion was comprised of 5,000 to 6,000 men. Legions were then comprised of cohorts or uh, regiments, and uh, each cohort had 600 men in those uh, cohorts. Then you had centurions who were in charge of 100 men. So there were 60 centurions in every legion of the Roman army. So according to Roman history, it was a centurion uh, that was really the backbone of the Roman discipline for the army and the success of those Soldiers. So these centurions were adventurous. They were go-getters. They were kind of fearless and courageous. Uh, did not. Uh, they didn't shrink back from war. Uh, they were also steady of character. They uh, they didn't uh, get easily riled when things came against them, and they were trained that way so they could face any kind of enemy. Also, the city of Caesarea was large in population. This is where Cornelius was from, and uh, it was on the Mediterranean Sea. This city is where Pontius, Pontius Pilate had his uh, headquarters, 
and all the ruling governors after him uh, stayed there as well. So Cornelius is a man's man. Uh, he's uh, stationed in an amazing, beautiful city, but he's a man who's hungry after God at the same time. Verse two, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to all the people or to the people and prayed to God always. So he's a man of influence, a man of authority, uh, a man that, uh, of wealth, and at the same time, he hungered after God. His position, his status, his wealth, and his power wasn't enough to satisfy his soul. And if you think I'm kidding on that one, just look at Hollywood. They've got it all, but their the soul is not satisfied. So it tells us he feared God. There was something in him that wanted to please God and know God at a deeper level. And what's interesting is he believes and fears uh, the God of Israel, not just any God. So he sees this God, he's seen the way they worship. And by that, I mean he, he prays to the one God, he believes in one God, and does not believe in all the pagan uh, entities uh, of the Roman belief system. He not only prays to the one true God, but he also is allowed to attend the local synagogue in his city. And, uh, but he cannot attend the temple sacrifices because he didn't go through all the rituals, especially one called circumcision. If you don't know what that is, ask your husband later or somebody. But let me just say, as an adult, I would not go through it either. So he's drawing near to God. He's giving alms or offerings and is giving more than what's required for him to give as well to help the poor in his area. So this man's seeking after God only to discover God has been seeking him all along as well. And I think you need to know this, that anyone who has a hungry heart for the one true God, God will find them. And God's plan is to get Peter in front of him to tell him about the Savior of the world, and, uh, and yet Peter's 35 miles away. Now, I want, want that to have an impact on us just for a moment. Cornelius believes in God, fears God, prays to God, and yet he's not saved. And because he shows an interest in the Lord, the Lord's gonna make sure that he takes interest in him and that he hears the whole uh, truth of the gospel. Now, the reason I tell you this, this is why it's so important, because it's common in our modern day to have a common modern day philosophy that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe sincerely. I want you to know you can be sincerely wrong, by the way. So if, if you're sincere in your heart and you seek whatever form of God that you believe in, uh, it's okay. So don't go and try to change uh, different people's lives or belief systems as long as they are sincere. I want you to, to know I've had people say, we, Christians shouldn't be going into another culture as a missionary and try to change their religious upbringing. Let them believe what they want because they're really sincere. And my question is, really? Then why did Jesus die? So how would you feel since this philosophy is going around and maybe you've had it played on you and maybe you've used it on other people. But how would you feel if a family of cannibals moved next door to you? And their deep religious conviction is that you should be their next meal. And they believe your kids should be their dessert. Okay, that's just a thought, but anyway. 
and it's part of their religious system. Would you, would you have a problem with that even though they're sincere? Well, of course you would. They, by the way, their beliefs are sincerely wrong, all right? So here's a guy, Cornelius, that believes in God. He's sincere, so God's going to make sure that he takes the next step, and he's going to do it through Peter, all right? Now, may I just say this? Sincerity doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus does. There are a lot of people in religions that are sincerely wrong in their teachings and in their doctrines. All right, now, verse three. So God sees this man's heart. He's going to make sure he's going to meet the Savior, Jesus Christ. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. In other words, God has seen your heart and not one prayer went past God's ears. I want to say this, that we need to understand there are many people out right now that are hungry for God, crying out to God that don't know him. My dad would not have been saved had God not heard his prayers from a foxhole in the Korean War as he calls on the Lord and they're surrounded by the enemy. And he said this prayer, Lord, if you're real, would you please come and save us right now? And Lord, if you do that, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And I, he, he told me this, I kid you not, Doug, that the clouds parted, the planes came through, the bombers saved us and we got out alive. If you want to know the, the, the movie of that, it's, it's called Devotion. It just came out uh, a few months ago. But that was really my dad's story in that way. So God hears prayers of believers and unbelievers alike, all right? So it says now, now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him uh, had departed, Cornelius, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. The sixth hour was noon. It's about lunchtime. And then he became very hungry, understandably so, it's lunchtime, and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, which means he was kind of half awake and half asleep or half, half way unconscious. And then he saw heaven open and, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So this sheet being let down, in that sheet were like pigs, donkeys, horses, vultures, rats, snakes, lobsters, crab, oysters, and clams. Those were all unclean things, and many more for Jewish people uh, not allowed to eat. So a voice came to him, though, and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter's hungry. 
He sees all sorts of food that he's never eaten before and uh, by Jewish law, he's forbidden to eat. And the dilemma Peter has, if you take this and put it in the spiritual, is the same dilemma that all Christian, Jewish Christian believers had, and that was that they believed salvation was of the Jews to the exclusion of everyone else. They believed only the Jews could be saved. And so Peter has this vision of things that can't be eaten uh, by Jewish people, and God tells him to rise up, kill, kill them and eat them. Uh, so this is important. I want you to hear this. God's not trying to change Peter's diet. God is trying to change Peter's heart, all right? So he has a mindset that needs to be adjust, adjusted. So Cornelius needs to be converted, and Peter needs to be, uh, have a conversion in his thinking. So God is trying to show Peter this gospel is not only for Jews, but for the whole world. The foundation he's trying to show him is in Galatians 3.28. You might want to write that scripture down. This is what it says. There is neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's trying to show Peter this is a brand new covenant, and we're all all who believe are invited in. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. And so it's a new wineskin with a new wine. The old wineskin you were taught doesn't fit here, Peter. And so Peter's learning a new lesson about the gospel. Okay, so Cornelius has been praying. Peter's been praying. An angel speaks directly to Cornelius. He's got uh, his attention. He's afraid. I think he's a big hurricane angel. And uh, so here's a question for all of us. You might want to write it down uh, if you want. Why doesn't the angel share the gospel with him? I mean, they're having a conversation. Why involve Peter? He's 35 miles away. It's a two-day trip to get there, two days to stay overnight while they're there, and two days to get back. So basically a week process. So why doesn't the angel just share the gospel? Why involve Peter? Well, to me... That's like going around the block to, to get next door is kind of what it's like. So it's important to know all angels, I want you to hear this, all angels are amazing uh, creations of God, but they have not been given the privilege of preaching the gospel uh, we have. So I, I want you to hear this. So many people talk about angels, and I'm glad for guardian angels and protection of angels, but I want you to know angels have not been given the privilege to preach the gospel. So God chose men and women to be the receptacles and the transmitters of the gospel, not angels. Now, there's one exception in the Bible about this, and it's in uh, the tribulation period, just to cover all the bases uh, that everybody on the earth gets to hear about Christ. And uh, during that judgment period in Revelation 14, it says an angel was dispatched to fly throughout the earth to proclaim the everlasting gospel to all who dwell on the earth. So that's one final act of mercy that God shows the earth in the end times. But other than that, angels do not have the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do, and that's why it tell, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 
112, that angels desire to look into the salvation that we experience. So angels are probably scratching their heads with their wings asking, why did he give this privilege to human beings and they don't, uh, they don't exercise the privilege as much as they should, all right? Now, the second part to the answer to this question is why did God get uh, or send Peter to Cornelius? Uh, the truth is there are lots of closer people to Caesarea than Peter. Why not Philip? In fact, in Acts 8, it tells us that uh, after he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus, he made his way back to Caesarea and in Acts 21.8, Paul, it tells us Paul, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, <clears throat> get this, it tells us that Paul lodged at the house of Philip, the evangelist, and Caesarea. So my thought is, why not get an evangelist to go to Cornelius' house, who probably just lives down the street? Why Peter? Here's what you need to hear. It's because Peter needs the lesson, and Philip doesn't. I want you to hear, oftentimes God's doing things in our lives, in your life, in my life, and we'll say, why not them? Why not this one? It's because God's trying to teach you something that you didn't know. So, okay, so back to the story, uh, verse 14, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything uncommon or anything common or clean. So God says, rise up and eat, kill it and eat. And Peter says, not, not gonna happen, Lord. And a voice, I love Peter, by the way, just because... I think we've all said, that's not gonna happen, Lord. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. I want you to hear this. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. And uh, I've had people ask me, why, why would God do this three times with Peter? What's the significance of three? I don't know. But I do know this about Peter. It seems like it takes God three times every time to get through to Peter. So Peter denies Christ three times. God asks him three times, do you love me three times? And now it takes three times to learn down the, the, the sheet to get Peter to, you know, they say it takes a, a hammer to, to, to knock on a coconut to get it to open up because they're so hard sometimes. And I think a lot of us have a lot of hard heads that God has to work on. And so Peter's hard-headed. So uh, God has his ways of getting through to each of us at different times. And it seems like Peter needs to hear three times. All right, verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, what this vision which he had uh, seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, I like that he's thinking about this. Hmm, I'm wondering about this. The spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing or asking nothing, for I have sent them. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. And then he says, for what reason have you come? Remember, he said, don't ask him anything, but he, he does it anyway. And they came, or, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, 
uh, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by the Holy Spirit or by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And I just want you to see, that's what we all should be doing to hear the gospel. And these two worlds are about to collide. It's a pivotal moment in redemptive history where Gentiles and Jews come together. Verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. So write this down, this is number two. It is a privilege to preach the gospel. For every Christian, you have the privilege to preach the gospel. And we need to remember, sharing Jesus from whatever platform you have is not getting a name for yourself. It's not for, so people will admire you. It's not so you can get the attention of others and make people think you're something special. And, and I just want you to know, this is just one platform. And I think so many times people think, if I could just be on the platform, I just want you to know, this is a scary place to be. I want you to know that telling people about Jesus, you need to do it from every platform God gives you wherever it's at. So the ministry of all believers is to share the gospel to, with everyone God puts in your path. Throughout the Bible, though, we find that people are tempted to worship someone other than God, even believers. Many have made the apostles into saints. Peter's one that people love to worship and there's statues of all the apostles in different uh, places of worship. And uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and Jesus rebuked a person who tried to worship uh, her. In Acts 14, in Lystra, God uses Paul and Barnabas to heal a person and the people want to bow down and worship them and they called him, they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermas or Hermes. And they, they started sacrificing to them and Paul said, stop this. This is nonsense. We are just human beings like you are. So, and even John the apostle, by the way, in Revelation 22, when he saw the angel that had given him the revelation of the end time events, John says, I fell down and worshiped him. And the angel said, see that you do not do this. Stop it, basically. I'm a fellow servant of the living God. So angels, I want you to hear this. Angels forbid worship to them. Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, and other uh, human beings forbid worship to them. Jesus forbid worship of his mother. So we need to be careful to whom we give our worship to because the only one worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. All right, verse 28. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for Jewish uh, men, a Jewish man to keep company with or go to, uh, to, to go to one of another nation. Now, so here's Peter. He walks into Cornelius' house. Relatives and friends are there. And basically, here's what he says. He says, guys, I shouldn't even be here. You're Gentiles. I'm a Jew. I'm not supposed to be, really, he's saying, I'm not supposed to 
be fellowshipping with you. How many know Peter had a way of opening his mouth and inserting his foot? Yeah. So, but, but he goes on to say this. Thank God he said the rest of this. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. In other words, I've thought of you as common and unclean, but God showed me you're not. All right, verse 29. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked, I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Just so you know, God hears your prayers. Believer and unbeliever alike. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. In other words, tell us the gospel, Peter. And then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. I don't know about you, but I think God's kind of finally getting through to Peter. Verse 35, but in every nation, whoever fears him works righteousness is accepted by him. Isn't that comforting words? The whole world needs to hear about Jesus. So Peter's being honest and he admits to, uh, to uh, he's new at sharing Jesus with non-Jewish people. You're the, you're the first group that I've ever shared with that's, that's non-Jewish. And, and maybe he remembered the words in John 10 where Jesus said, I have other sheep that you don't know that are part of this fold and he said, they're going to hear my voice and they're going to be come into this flock and we're going to be one flock and have one shepherd. And Jesus was speaking of non-Jews coming into the flock and being brought in. So Peter's thinking, uh, and he's really saying this, I think I'm figuring this out. And he realizes God shows no partiality, all right? God loves the world. So lesson number three, you can write this down. There is no place for bigotry or favoritism among God's people. Now, that, that makes some people upset, but today bigotry, there's so much of it going on. The word bigotry just simply means complete intolerance of any opinion that differs, that differs from one's own. Now, I, don't, I, I just know I have lots of people that we differ with, but you can still be kind to them. You can still listen to them. And uh, I think my wife said this to me earlier. But listen, you never compromise God's word. You never compromise the truth. So you love, you tell people the truth in love, always. So as Christians, we are not allowed to hold ill will toward people of another race or another economic system or even of a, a different educational system. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. So there's an interesting story uh, that I shared last service about uh, Mahatma uh, Gandhi, who was a great leader in India. Uh, he was trained as an attorney, spent time in South Africa. He was drawn towards uh, Christianity over Hinduism and was drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. He, he was enamored with the Sermon 
on the mount and uh, was thinking about converting to Christianity. He believed that Jesus Christ and Christianity, from what he read in the New Testament, was the answer to the caste system in India. And so one Sunday in South Africa, he went to a, a church, but was stopped by an usher at the door who suggested that he as a brown person might want to go down the street and worship with his own people. He was not allowed to enter that white church. Later, Gandhi wrote this, while there seems to be a caste system even within Christianity, so I think I'll just remain a Hindu. And he said that was a defining moment where he rejected Christ and Christianity and decided, I'm just going to stay with the system I was raised with and try to reform it. I'm telling you, a sad thing. This lesson we need to learn. There's no place for bigotry or favoritism among God's people. I don't care what color. I don't care what race. I don't care what nation. I don't care about your status. God says to you, you're welcome if you believe in Jesus Christ. So Peter learns the lesson. God has no favorites. Verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The same goes for us, guys. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. And at this point, I think he's appealing to Cornelius' knowledge of what went on with Jesus, and he knew about it. And so he says, uh, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is who he, that he, it is he who was ordained by God, listen to this, to be, the, to be judge of the living and the dead. Don't ever demean Jesus' stature. He's the judge of all. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been given, uh, had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Aren't you glad for that? For they heard him, they, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay for a few more days. Don't you just love this story? It's a great story. So what, have, what lessons have we learned today? Lesson number one, prayer is powerful and no one is beyond God's reach. Lesson two, what a privilege it is for us to preach the gospel. Angels don't have this privilege, but we do. Number three, there's no place for uh, bigotry 
or favoritism among God's people. And the fourth lesson, I want you to write this down. I saved it for last, even though it's in the middle of the story. Lordship means ownership. You can't say, when he says, rise up, kill, and eat, you can't say, no way, Lord. I want you to hear this because it's a contradiction. You can say, no way, Doug. You can say, no way, Lois. You can say, no way, dude. But you can't say, no way, Lord, because if you do, he ain't your Lord. And Jesus said this in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord? It says, actually, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say. Making Jesus Lord or the boss of your life means staying bendable, means staying humble, and it means being willing to be obedient no matter what the cost. Peter had a hard time with this, and I think a lot of us do too, me included. So if Jesus is your Lord, he's the owner of your life. Our lives are not ours to do with as we please. Our money is not ours to do with as we please. Our time is not ours to do with as we please. It all belongs to the Lord. And he tells God, no way, I'm not eating that food. It's common and it's unclean. And so he says, God's, God's, this is what the conversion is for Peter. I'm gonna change the way you think that you thought something was biblical, it's not. And secondly, I'm gonna change your will. I want you to be able to say to me, whatever I ask you to do, you will do. You know, you're not probably familiar with the, ends, uh, the end of the chapter where he said, why do you say, Lord, Lord, and still not do the things I say? Listen to what it says in Luke 6, 47. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. So I hear him and I do him. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the, steam, the stream beat, beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I want us to be a strong house. I want us to be a house that truly can say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, you're Lord of my family, you're Lord of my children, you're Lord of Harbor City Church, so that whatever he asks us to do, we will do. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You may have walked in here today like Cornelius. You believe in God, but there's something inside of you that says, I don't know who he really is. I want to know him. I want to serve him. I want to go after him. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because Jesus Christ is here to tell you today, I am your Savior. I died for you. I want to be your Lord. But it takes guts and boldness to be a Christian. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I don't want to leave here without him. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
10 hands. That's us. Now here's what we do here. You don't, you're, not, you're not alone in serving God. We're inviting you into the family of God and we're gonna be here to help you grow and help you get started in your walk with God. But let's say this prayer together, everybody. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give him a big hand. Now, if I could have some prayer people come on up here, and, and uh, if you gave your life to Christ today, we'd like to help you get started on your walk with the Lord. And secondly, if you need prayer for anything, get some prayer. But let's worship for a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to take over our lives.